The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them. Hello and welcome to episode 328 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This will air on Monday, December 13th, 2021. Uh, The February LSAT registration deadline is coming up in a couple weeks on December 29th. Then we have the January LSAT in mid-January, starting the week of January 15th. If you haven't uh, already joined Nathan's LSAT study group, it meets every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. It is just, what, an hour for people to come in, talk with you, and get motivated for the upcoming LSAT, whatever that is. It's just uh, yeah. continuing. Check in wherever you're at. I can help you, you know, make the most of the coming week, hopefully, uh, by directing you toward the right resources and the right activities. Uh, Also, just maybe by getting a commitment out of you to make sure that you're studying a little bit every day in the upcoming week. Yep. To sign up for that class, go to LSATdemon.com, click on free account to create a free demon account, and then sign up for Nathan's class, that class under the classes schedule. Anyways, today on the show, we interviewed Melissa Anderson, a Harvard 2L, um, a captain in the army, right? I believe. Amazing, amazing, like just amazing applicant, awesome person. We read the first paragraph of her actual successful Harvard law personal statement. We read the first paragraph of her uh, diversity statement. We talked all about her LSAT studies and her 1L year and all kinds of super cool stuff. Yep, and she's super nice and friendly, and it was great to talk to her. Um, We then had a correction about the GRE uh, test scores that are now going to be considered in the U.S. News and World Report ranking. Um, We then jumped into a question that we had gotten from a potential demon user saying, hey, um, can I get a schedule? for three months, four months, or maybe even six months, and we talked about how much we love, and by love I mean hate, um, predestined schedules for studying for the LSAT. And then we went over some Spotify wrapped scores that we had got from some users. 6,200 minutes yeah. is the uh, current lead. So if you can beat 6,200 minutes, send your Spotify unwrapped to help at thinkinglsat.com. Yep. Uh, before we get into all that stuff, Ben, I wanted to ask you, uh, we found out yesterday that we had similar experiences. Uh, productivity is not completely uh, ungermane. Is that a word? Ungermane? Uh, to the show? Sure. It's germane it's not, not to the germane. show. Yeah. It is germane, I think, to the show. Yep. Um, we, You had signed up for this, we won't name them, um, because we ended up firing them. Yep. But you had signed up for this like productivity service. Yes. And then you you found it really helpful. Yep. And you invited me to try out that same productivity coach. And I found it really helpful. Until I didn't, which took about 6 weeks. Yep. And I finally decided just yesterday I think to unsubscribe. Yep. And when I texted you to just tell you <laughs> that I had unsubscribed, you're like, oh yeah, I also unsubscribed last week, which I found amusing. Um, talk a little bit about why, you know, like what, what was it that helped you 
and then why did you ultimately decide not to continue this uh, service? Yeah, so I was uh, struggling to determine what I should do with my priorities, right? Like there are so many good things that we can be working on when it comes to the demon. There are so many good things that I could be doing in my personal life. And I was struggling to prioritize them and then execute on them. So I found this service. It was like, hey, meet with a coach once a week. Um, they will talk to you and help you be more productive, essentially. And when I first um, signed up, I met with this this guy, and he, or I talked to him on the phone. And he was helpful. He asked me some pretty simple questions. It's like, what are the... Th- top things you want to be working on? What's the top thing you want to be working on right now? And of course I hemmed and hawed and I didn't give him an answer, but he just kept asking until I finally settled on one. And I think that was part of what was helpful about talking to him. And then once I settled on three things that I would be working on that week, um, he then said, okay, well, when are you, when are you going to do them? And it was pretty simple questions. What are you going to do? And only like at at one point, I think I started saying, Hey, these are the three things I want to do, but I also want to do this. And I also want to do that. He's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I'm not going to, I'm not like you. I'm not going to let you commit to more than three things. I'm only letting you commit to three things. And then once you commit to those three things, I'm going to ask you when you're going to do them. And I'm going to ask you how you're going to do them. And that was immensely helpful for me. It just helped me focus and then on what I'm going to do and then how I'm going to do it. What ended up happening was that every week we started meeting and it's the same pattern, which is fine. I mean, I guess it works, but it's like, I feel like, okay, I kind of get how this works. I can just do it myself. (laughs) And so I I ended up letting them go. Um, I appreciate what they had to offer, but yeah, I was done. And now it's like a habit. Yeah. I feel much the same about it. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to work on, um, a few things, including, uh, work life balance. Sure. Uh, was a thing. And I, <laughs> like I got all the value out of the service in the first like two weeks. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I decided that I wanted this dividing line between work and normal life and to yep. start having a little bit more of like business hours, yep. which I've never had since the beginning of my business in 2008. Mm-hmm. I have sort of worked 24 hours a day Yep, and that was bad. Um, I took the email app off of my phone yep. because one of the commitments I made was I'm not going to check email after 8 p.m. and I'm not going to um, look at mm. email on my phone mm-hmm. because the email on my phone became this terrible addiction of just like refreshing and refreshing and refreshing to see if there was anything new. Yeah. And uh, that one simple act of deleting the email application from my phone, it's it's been a pain in the ass like once when I needed to look up a document. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I could still access my email through a browser and go that way. And it's just like inconvenient, which is perfect. Cause I want it to be inconvenient. Like I yeah, yeah. want to ever use it for, you know, I have to get a photo of my passport or something like that, which is yep. in my email. Yep. Um, so I like, I like committed to those things and I did those things and now it's just my life. Yep. And I, that was a profound 
change, like just a crazy mm-hmm. change to the mm-hmm. way I lived my life. Like I yeah, ended yeah. up doing all kinds of different shit that I would, I just didn't realize how much I was like checking my email and refreshing and like doing little work th- side things that are like probably not even important anyway. And yeah. So uh, yeah. And then I, I didn't have any more of a, like value to get out of that. The other thing that I did is I committed that I wanted to start uh, restart a meditation practice. Mm, mm-hmm. And the follow-ups on that were actually helpful. Like knowing that I was going to be talking to the coach and explaining to him why I did or did not do the thing that I had said that I wanted to do. Yeah. That was really helpful. But now that has been built into a habit and it feels like an everyday part of my life. And I just don't, you know, um, from there, the thing that I didn't like about the service period was that it was, it, it just came off as very like, uh, it came off as like achievement is everything type of thing. Yeah, there was definitely something cringy about <clears throat> the way the company as a whole communicated with us. And the emails were awful. Yeah, it's and like they were constantly pitching something. And yeah. I don't know, it, we had to ignore that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was we like, started. well, yeah, but I'm getting good things out of it. So I'm going to focus on the good things I'm getting out of it meanwhile, the entire culture of the thing, the and I just didn't feel like, I guess ultimately it didn't feel aligned with my values. The mm. one email that like really made me, like I knew that it wasn't for me was mm. when I got the email that was like, imagine if you were one per, just 1% better today than you were yesterday. And if we could just be 1% better constantly every day. And I was yeah. just like, unsubscribe. I'm fucking out. It's like I yeah. do not, the rise and grind type of like, you know, we're all becoming perfect beings or whatever, like that thing. I was just like, no, (laughs) yeah, it struck me as like really inhuman. So anyway, I don't know if the listeners got anything out of that discussion, but I thought it was really interesting that both that you and I had both gotten such like big benefit in a very short period of time. Mm hmm. And then without even talking about it, just independently made the decision to each like at the same in the same week, each just quit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of kind of amazing. Yep. Um I want to double down on our repeated recommendation for meditation. Mm-hmm. If uh people aren't already doing it, I think that you can really kind of work miracles in like 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, it will, the, the benefit doesn't happen during the 10 minutes. The benefit happens during the 23 hours and 50 minutes that are not during the meditation session. Uh, And I'm not sure why it even works. Um, but I do know that I have felt a hell of a lot calmer. Yeah. And, uh, and even caught myself, you know, that thing of like, you're on autopilot frantically going around through your life doing you know this thing to that thing to this other thing to this other thing to this other thing and just kind of all over the place and then notice it yeah and it immediately you just everything immediately stops and you just get this sense of calm and realize that you're in charge of directing your attention 
Yeah, I w- actually, I would say something. I think it's almost the same thing. or It's maybe it's the same idea, just that whenever I meditate, that's what I feel like I get out of it, is this willingness to let go of unnecessary things that for whatever reason, because I'm an autopilot, feel necessary, and then create this tension, right? Like, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do that. And that's creating all this, like, low grade it's really low but low grade anxiety or you know some this uncomfortableness of life no, next thing you know you're like holding your shoulders up like this around you know going around <laughs> like just and it's like entirely just this self-imposed self-imposed where, yeah it's like and what are you trying to do you're trying oh you're trying to get one percent every day <laughs> oh god or whatever you know so yeah I would love to build, maybe we should dabble with this, um, build some sort of meditation, simple meditation into the demon. Hmm. That's an I interesting idea. Because my goal, right, I've, we've mentioned this before, but is to make, to remove choice. And so if you embed it into the drilling, right, you're drilling, and it's like, hey, look, you've done enough. Why don't you take a five-minute meditation right now, and we'll provide that for you, and then you continue with your studies. Yeah, you and I could each record some, like, real short little guided meditations. Yeah. Just, I mean, I, I really believe in it. I I I think that you could, you know, I can just imagine LSAT students frantically in the middle of a section feeling that anxiety bomb, mm-hmm. you know, a cartoon-sized bomb kind of growing and about to explode and then if you if you have this like weird meditation habit or you're just training your mind and and you you can separate yourself from that runaway train of thoughts Mm -hmm. and you can notice it but that's the all you have to do is notice it you yeah. notice it and it immediately stops. Yeah. And you, and yet the, its power is gone and you realize, okay, what I really have to do is I have to read this one sentence Yep. and understand it. And then I got to read another set and I got to direct my focus to that sentence. Not the five questions that came before or the 10 questions that are coming next, but this one right here. So yeah, dr- uh, drill building it into the drilling feature. I like that a lot. All right, we'll kick it around. You want to get to this interview with Let's do uh, it. Melissa? Let's jump in. Okay, today on the show we have Melissa Anderson, who is a Harvard Law 2L and a former strategy student and demon student. Um, yeah, I think you were starting with the demon when it was like just just getting going. Like there was this hybrid between my class and the demon i don't know if that's what you remember but yeah it was just a just a baby demon i think (laughs) baby demon yeah there you go you started with the baby demon and yeah now you're a 2l um you are a lieutenant right in the uh captain actually but yeah captain in the army. okay captain in the army and um oh wow we have actually a whole like formal introduction here why don't you read it nathan yeah yeah go for it yeah, yeah. So this is from my buddy, John Yin, um, who is a paralegal at Harvard Law School and has been on the podcasts before. Uh, 
Jonyin suggested Melissa come on the show, and he wrote a couple of nice paragraphs. Oh, I edited it down a little bit. Uh, it says, <laughs> you're a West Point grad, an Army captain, and spent three years working in the artillery brigade at Fort, at Fort Bragg. During this time, you were responsible for commanding troops and worked on legal or at least legal adjacent matters. While at Fort Bragg, you decided to become a lawyer. Since then, you've be, you've been generous with your time, connecting other military members with law school admissions resources and guidance. Now you're a Harvard 2L. Uh, John Yin said, this semester, you're one of the best students in the family law clinic. Said you're a standout in your clinic seminar and at, are adept at navigating difficult client interactions. Well, I, I mean, John Yin is, is much too generous. But yes, the most of the background information, at least up till this semester, is correct. I was... Uh, working as an artillery officer at Fort Bragg and um, didn't do a whole lot of legal stuff, but um, had some soldiers and helped them work through some legal issues they had. And then, yeah, since getting into the Army's legal program, uh, I've had a couple people reach out and ask how I've, how I made it to Harvard through the Army um, and, yeah, created a bit of a cult following for the Thinking Elset podcast and the Demon um, with the military folks that I've talked to. Um, and then, yeah, here I am. I did work in the family law clinic this semester, and it's been an awesome experience, though. He says, despite all this success, you are unfailingly humble. <laughs> Today, he made a joke about your talents after your supervising attorney thanked you for setting her straight on a case. As soon as John Yen did that, you made sure, Melissa, to highlight the many times that that attorney had helped you. The other week, when you were talking to John Yin about law school admissions, you disclosed your splitter status and referred to yourself as a military diversity admit, and he thinks that you did that to show him that there are students like him who have been admitted to Harvard Law School with less than stellar stats. Then he emailed us again this morning with like even more <laughs> rhapsodizing. John Yin, as you know, is, uh, is an incredibly, incredibly kind man and has been a good, great friend to me this semester, so... Yes. Yeah, he's he is extremely um, kind. He's yeah. just here. Always optimistic. Yeah. But he's uh, lovely. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Um I, I was a a splitter admit to Harvard and you know, like we were kinda of talking about before we came on, um my scores were definitely not uh scores or grades that would be a shoe in to be, you know, someone that you look at and say, Man, that one's really gonna be a strong candidate for Harvard. Um and I think that a lot of the times, especially with like, you know, the movies and everything else like that about Harvard, it can be difficult to see that that's not, you know, you don't have to have the strongest scores all the time to be admitted. So, yeah, I was glad, glad that that was encouraging to him, I guess. Didn't, didn't Elle No, she had, she was grade? a fashion major, um, but she had <laughs> a 4.0, so. Oh, yes, it was that she was a yeah. fashion major. Yeah, which is totally irrelevant. The 4.0 and the one mm -hmm. point, the 179. Yeah, exactly. So, no, she was, she was do doing it, just fine. She was not very encouraging to me. Before, uh, yeah, before I started studying for the LSAT, okay. I, I watched that movie and I thought, man, like a 179, that's got to be, you know, that's like nothing. That's one, one song montage and I've got that. And then I... I took a cold and got a 154, and I was like, oh, oh, that's not the case. Yeah. Cold 154, uh, and how long did it take uh, you? Cold 154, and you end I ended, and that was in May, April or May of 2019, and then mm -hmm. I took it in July and got a 168, took it again in October and got a 171. So. Now, why did you 
take the test again? Um, honestly, I signed up for it before I even took it the first time. Um, for me, it was more of like a test anxiety, almost coping strategy than anything of like, it really made it so that the July test um, was just another practice test because it was kind of just a way for me to get my feet wet, like, you know, get a score on paper for the military, the program that I applied to. You had to submit your application by November 1st. Um, I wasn't sure what my schedule was going to be in the fall, so I kind of needed to take the July test. But um, I also just knew that, like, I was going to have another crack at it. So kind of whatever it ended up with. I didn't know anything about law school admissions, so I didn't know that it could have looked bad, you know, potentially if I had gotten a bad score. And then, I mean, I know that that's not really... I, some people worry about that. Um, I was ignorant enough to not worry about it, um, which I think worked out well. And then I just went in and took it. Um, ended up doing well, but, um, I thought that I could do a little bit better. Um, and I ended up just kind of studying. That's when I took Ben's class and moved it up another three points, which, you know, I think it was at least helpful. Certainly wasn't harmful. Definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah. 171 is better better. than 168. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. So so then your, your GPA was, uh, in my head, I have you, you had a major GPA of 3.5, but then your overall, oh, so your overall GPA was 3.2, right? And then your Mm -hmm. major GPA was 3.5. Oh yeah. Probably made, sorry. Yeah, oh, no, no, that's all right. That's all right. But, but actually, that doesn't, you know, the major GPA doesn't really matter. The overall GPA is what they're really submitting to the ABA and thus the U.S. News and World Report ranking. So you had a 3.2, a 171. Um, I noticed that you applied on October 27th. It's very detailed yeah, information. I, I hope you don't mind us uh, revealing that to no, everyone. That's, but that's fine. It's I, a little later than what you know, we tend to encourage people to do, but it's still relatively early in the cycle. When does uh, Harvard open its applications? That is a great question. Um, I really couldn't tell you. I think it's, I think it's August, I want to say. Oh, okay. Um, So most schools are, you know, early September, but in any case, um, you know, those, if you came to me and said, hey, I have a 3-2 and I have a 171, I would say, hmm, worth a shot but probably not so yeah what do you think is the main factor that <laughs> helped you get into harvard no i mean like that's that was my mindset looking at my scores was just kind of the worth a shot but probably not um but my mom's thing has always been like the worst they can say to you is no and so i figured that i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i hadn't at least like tried and submitted the application sure um but I don't, I really don't know. I think that I did come from kind of a unique background. Um, I know that Christy Jobson, the Dean of Admissions, did a podcast back in like 2020 um, that talked about how much they're kind of valuing work experience and things like that now, as well as, as test scores and grades. And, you know, I don't know how much that plays into it. Um, but I can tell you that like, she's a fairly genuine individual from when I met her. So I think that that is, you know, something that they look at. And then I had a good interview um, from what she's told me at least. And and I really, I really couldn't tell you aside from that. I think that it was, I just, you know, really feel like I got lucky in a lot of ways that I happened to be what they were looking for in, in that particular year. Did you apply to Stanford, Yale? Other top uh, I didn't. Programs. I didn't apply to Yale, but I did apply to Stanford. I got rejected from Stanford. 
Um, I got accepted to Michigan and to Vanderbilt and UVA. Um, and like ASU, I think I'd applied there as well. Hmm. So you applied to a hand, it sounds like what, five or six schools or? Yeah, I, I was going to apply to more, but I ended up getting accepted to Michigan. Um, like you said, I applied kind of late in the, in the cycle comparatively, but it's actually early for, um, kind of the military. I didn't know if I'd be allowed to go to school because I wasn't going to get my acceptance back for the military's legal program until January. Um, so I was kind of just throwing these applications and application fees out there without really knowing what I was actually going to be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got accepted in Michigan by like mid-December, late December. And I hadn't yet applied to some of the like lower ranked schools. I was going to apply to like the University of Colorado, a couple other um, schools like that. Um, and then after I got into Michigan, it was kind of like, well, you know, this is a great school. I'd love to go here. Even if I don't get in anywhere else, like I don't really, I wasn't really concerned about it at that point in time. Um, so then I kind of had just capped it at, I think the, yeah, the six admissions or so that I had already sent out. And and you weren't concerned about cost as much, right? Because from what I understand, well, actually you didn't know at that time, right? But if you b- were accepted to this military program, which I think, is, I can't remember the acronym for it, but um, if you got accepted to that, they'd pay for law school and also pay for your living expenses. Yeah, so it's it's called FLEP. It's like the f- uh, Funded Legal Education Program. So they take um, like 25 um, soldiers a year from the Army. And yeah, they pay, it's like up to $48,000 in tuition, and then you're still active duty. So technically, I'm just assigned to Harvard. Um, and so yeah, I'm still like an active duty soldier while I'm here, which is mm-hmm. great. So yeah, was definitely following the, the don't pay for law school aspect in that regard of if I got accepted to that program. I did get offered, um, I think Michigan offered me like a, a one-third or a half scholarship or something like that. And I think that UVA, I can't remember if they offered me anything as well. Hmm. Okay. Nathan? Happy with your choice? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great. Last year was remote, which was a little bit rough, but um, learning a lot. I've really enjoyed. I mean, I think that Harvard does the clinical aspect, which is hands-on, which to me has been like super rewarding. I think one of the best ways to learn. Um, so it definitely fits my style at least. Um, can I read the first paragraph of your Oof. personal statement? Yeah, just I mean, go ahead. <laughs> give a little. We don't usually flavor. get to read it with the person, with the author. I know this will be a it'll be a fun experience for all of us. I, I read it when I sent it to you, and and realized that I had perhaps looked on it with rose-colored glasses when I had had submitted it, but. Well, yeah. We all do. Uh, <laughs> ben and I read our yeah. own personal statements Way worse. Uh, on the podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> hundred episodes ago, and uh, they were terrible. I mean, they were really god I do think I remember listening to um, at least one of yours. I, I listened to your podcast like a, I was like a fanatic for a couple months. I would listen to it like on the way to work, on the way back from work, on the way to the beach, like in between kind of whatever. So I don't think I made it through the full catalog, but it was a significant chunk. <laughs> uh, here, okay, here we go. I received the radio transmission just before dawn on the last day of our brigade field training exercise. Quote, Apache 40, this is Recon 40. At this time, intelligence assets have detected signs of enemy movement pushing north towards your area of operation. Be advised, we have no air or artillery assets aside from your organic troop mortars at the present. 
clearance for all mortar fires is at your level, but keep us informed of all fire missions, end quote. I acknowledged the call over the net and smiled in the muggy July heat. This was the moment I had been waiting for. I transmitted the information to my forward observers and mortar elements, passed the radio off to my second-in-command, the Fire Support Non-Commissioned Officer, FSNCO, and went to find our troop commander to relay the message. Yeah, uh, I, I, as I mentioned, I just read this right before the show, and my reaction was that it's 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 a story and it it makes sense i can follow it but it's still it's a little it's a little heavy right it's a, it's a little heavy with the military talk and so i really kind of found myself like stopping and pausing for a second to like get my bearings straight um and then of course you throw in this acronym the fsnco which makes me curious are you going to use it again does it matter and even if you did use it again would i remember something that long right so there are things about the writing that i don't love but i kept reading the statement and aside from the fact that the the writing's not where i'd want it to be i thought to myself okay you clearly have experience that 90% of applicants don't have right or maybe even more and you you're you're just coming into this process more as an adult than most applicants, and so I'm thinking to myself, great, you can handle you know, so much that's required of attorneys and people in law school. So I don't know. I the, I don't love the writing, but it's okay. I, think, I don't love the writing. <laughs> the underlying message, I think, uh, probably played a crucial part in how you ended up. Also, your diversity statement was helpful. But I know that's more than what you were asking, Nathan, but it, that's my reaction, at least, to this overall thing. No, uh, that's not more than I was asking. I want to know, you know, like that first impression is so important, and they probably are going to see Melissa's LSAT and GPA, but maybe not a lot more than that before they start reading the first paragraph of the personal statement. And... Uh, the one thing that this does is it gets across that you had a leadership position in the army in like actual combat. Well, and, it's just a, it's just um, a training, um, scenario. Yeah. I oh, think that's I a put training. it at the end of, it's the, that's the brigade, um, like exercise part kind of at the end of the first sentence. Oh, so your personal no, statement? No, no, it's a not lie. a lie. I promise. I had, uh, I, well, I really hope it's not a lie. No, I no, tried it, to <laughs> communicate it in a way that was not a lie. No, <laughs> ben, no did I didn't know. Actually, that so that's an interesting point to talk it. about that specific fact. So when we put nouns together, right, the more nouns you put together, the more likely someone is to, to gloss over them. And brigade field training exercise. See, the training is in there, Nathan. Oh. I didn't lie, I promise. I actually had to go back and read that again. So as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, oh, okay, wait, I feel like I saw the word training and then I did go back and I saw it and I was like, okay. So I recognized that this was a training the whole time oh, you went through it. Sentence. And that did have one like slight thing for me at the end. I think at the end, I got the impression that you actually fired some 
mortars? Well, we did or? for training. Yeah. And so, and then it was like, and, you know, we were protecting this. And I kept, it was hard to get on my mind that it was like, wait, this is still just training. Like, you know, and not that it matters. That's, if that's the story we have to tell, then that's the story that we tell. Um, but yeah, it, it can't. I think it's perfect. I think most readers are not going to catch this. Well, the, the deception was not intended. Um, <laughs> I, so that's even better. <laughs> even better. <laughs> Unintentional, but successful. Yeah, Christy Jobson, uh, if you're listening to this, no, I promise. Yeah. Uh, it, it was well intended. <laughs> well, it, it definitely gave the impression that you were in a leadership role uh, in. Well, those things were true. And, uh, it, it, Yes. And because those facts are so powerful, uh, you can get away with a lot of, you know, slightly clunky military. In, uh, back in 2019, I really thought that I had that this was like very streamlined. I had cut a lot of military language out of this paragraph. Actually, uh, this was the, the, <laughs> the civilianized version, which was not the case now. Yeah. What's an organic troop mortar? Oh, it's just like, um, well, now that I think about it, it's hard to explain. Um, but they're just like mortars that are, that you kind of own. Um, so it's like ones that you're like lugging around in the back of a truck. Um, so some guy has them in a truck somewhere. So you don't have to like ask anyone else to use them. They're kind of just yours. Organic? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's organic to your unit. Like they, they, oh. yeah. Part of the organism of your Listen, unit. listen. This was before you guys had started your personal statement editing service. Uh, so I could only do so much. Um, My mom told it... me it was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. got you into Harvard. So <laughs> what, what are we to say, right? But <laughs> yeah. Maybe everyone should write their personal statements this way. Uh, do we uh, also no. read the first uh, paragraph of the diversity statement? I think that would be helpful. I think that that you had a, a good message there. Um, I'm noticing that this is single spaced when the other document was double spaced. I, hmm. I honestly don't know why it uploaded like that. Um, I think they're also in different fonts and um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how any of that happened. I think that if I remember correctly, like on the LSAX portal, it's like three separate uploads. Um, uh-huh. And so I, I really don't know. Um, my Microsoft Word's like all set up the same. And so it's very confusing to me why why it looks the way that it does. And and this is a file that Harvard gave back to you? No, this is from LSAC. Oh, it's from LSAC. They said, okay, yeah, here's, just, here's everything compiled into one PDF. You can just Right, like this it. is just, this is what you mailed to Harvard. Hmm. Okay. This is what you paid the... Uh, yeah, this is what you paid us to do is put together this kind of bad PDF. dollars report yeah. fee. Two this? different fonts and bad spacing. <laughs> like you'd think they'd at least fix the spacing for me for forty five bucks. Don't don't people? I thought it was a thing that people like only upload PDFs and make sure that they look at it on the LSAC website before they submit anything. That could definitely be the case um, for people that know more about the admissions process than I did at that point. But yeah. I'm telling you, Nathan, it is a miracle uh, that I'm here because I don't think you could go into this process knowing much less than I could <laughs> and somehow <laughs> still end up doing all right. Yeah, but you had the goods. I mean, you you had the facts in your favor. And when you have the facts in your favor, then, you, yeah, you can get away with it. That sounds you... like some uh, some lawyer talk right there. Well, it's true. Better be careful. I mean, <laughs> facts are going to win as long as you make sure to present those facts in a way that people can get 
get to them, which you did fine. You did enough to do. But anyway, uh, first paragraph of the diversity statement. People in my hometown could not decide what was stranger, M dash. The fact that as a young woman, I would be attending a military academy for my college education or just the fact that I would be attending college at all. Growing up in the small rural town of Ray, Colorado, a place known only for its prairie chicken population, I am to date the only student to ever achieve admission to and choose to attend the United States Military Academy as a cadet. Most of my classmates chose to forego a college education altogether, entering straight into the workforce primarily as ranchers or farmhands. When we were in school, students missing class or sporting events to help brand cattle or bring in a harvest was more common than taking a sick day. As such, the focus of our education was tailored more toward preparing students for entering the workforce than on preparation for higher education. Though our geometry class was taught by a veterinarian and we lacked funding for physics, some of the skills I learned growing up in Ray, hard work, discipline, grit, and teamwork, are more priceless than anything I could have learned in a classroom as they led to my acceptance to West Point and my success as an army officer. Did you use towards in the first paragraph of your personal statement and then toward in the first paragraph of your diversity statement? I think you did. Yeah, to be um, honest, uh, I think I just figured out recently like what the difference is, and it still gets me sometimes. Um, no, no big deal. Just something that I caught. Um, ben, any thoughts about this? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's a it's it's a good message. It's like, hey, look, I'm coming from a rural area. I'm doing something that is challenging for given my circumstances. You're also showing that you're a woman at a, you go on to show that you're a woman at a a place that's mostly had male students, right? And all that stuff. I, I Yeah, I first was... sentence of the next paragraph. When I entered my plebe or freshman year at the United States Military Academy, I found myself in the minority once again, this time because I was a young woman in a class that was 80% male and also because of my rural background. And then you go through some stories about uh, what that was like being the um, 20% in your plebe class. So yeah, you had like legitimate, th those are, see, that's the good way of telling the, of, of like, you know, you're white, right? Yeah. But you're from a different place and you are able to present that in a compelling way. Uh, you also, you know, have been the minority in, uh, your class. So then you can like, you can present your diversity experience. Even if women are the majority in law school, you were able to like show your minority or your, you know, you were diverse in that sense in that class. And so you, you talked about that. I think that's Yeah. Really I mean, good. I think that like, for me, it was mainly just the rural kind of part but then yeah like just kind of being a minority in at West Point and then like as a professional was just kind of an interesting experience and I know that that was not really kind of your typical diversity statement um but I think that like I just felt like it was something that was would have been more helpful than harmful to add which hopefully it was yeah Ben you said you liked it 
Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, you're you're putting that foot forward to say, hey, look, this is how, how this is my background. This is my diversity. Um, and I'm sure they'd want to bring this to their school. Um, looking, I don't know, looking, I guess I, I kind of want to transition to your first year at Harvard. Sure. Um, looking back at that experience, do you have any advice for our future law students? Oh, it- man. Um, I mean, I had a non-traditional first year because I was in the kind of the COVID pandemic class. So we were all remote. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was actually talking to some friends about it. And I think that that actually um, was kind of a valuable experience in that it really helped you because, I mean, you were just kind of isolated, which was not great. But you didn't really get caught up in like the grade pandemonium or the studying pandemonium or like, you know, you didn't watch kids staying after class to like talk to a professor or like, you know, going to office hours or see like this semester, I'm just seeing one else kind of like running back and forth between like classes in the library, carrying books. And, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of like stress over exams and, and, and that stress is warranted in a lot of ways. But I think that, um, I guess the main thing is just like, to still have confidence that like the skills that got you through like, you know, however many years of schooling that you've had up to this point are, are enough to get you like if you had the skills to get through it and you had the skills to get in, you have the skills to not only pass but do well in like your 1L classes. So just like kind of being being almost like being true to your yourself and kind of having confidence in your abilities while still being, you know, humble enough to ask for help or to go to the study group or you know, it can be hard to ask your peers questions on things that you may not understand that they understand because you don't want to appear kind of as the weak link or the weaker law student or whatever. Um, but yeah, I guess I mean the confidence to trust that what you're doing is good so you don't really have to be burning the midnight oil in the library. Like if that's not your style, that's not your style. Um, I think that that gets a lot of people kind of caught up in like, you know, just really makes for a very jarring or very much more stressful experience than it really needs to be. Because really, like, you're there, like, you're going to learn, the teachers are going to call on you, like, you're going to have bad cold calls no matter how much you prepare for them, like, you're going to have good cold calls even if you're not prepared for them, they don't really care, like, they're still going to call on you anyway, they're not going to hate you, and, like, you're going to get through it and you're going to be fine. Did you get to have the gigantic 500-person in one lecture cold calling experience well i think that you can guess the answer to that is uh is no with covid not at all um, or not in, even now that you're back on campus no harvard does a surprisingly good job too of for the freshman class or the 1l class they split it into sections so there's like seven or eight sections of 50 students so the biggest class that i had as a first year was just the 50 students that i was with or like 50 or 60 students i guess Um, and all of your classes are just with those students for the whole year. Um, so no, no big law lectures, I think, even if you are in person. And then this year, the biggest class that I've had, it's been, I think it's like 70 students or something like that. So the paper chase is a lie. Paper chase is a lie. Um, Harvard's actually (laughs) much more congenial than, uh, or like people are much friendlier and more helpful than I expected it to be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that to be the case. I mean, everybody's still going to bust their ass to try to 
claw to the top on the exams, but yeah, but there's less clawing of other people. It's right. Um, well, it's how more... do you help yourself by claw? Yeah, I mean, well, you see in like the paper chase or whatever, people like ripping pages out of books or, <laughs> you know, sabotaging your cold calls. Stealing or... books from the library. Yeah, hiding, stealing them from the them. library. But now everything's digital, so it's kind of like, who cares? Um, right. And people right. are usually very helpful from what I've seen and, and very, very friendly for the most part. That's um, nice to hear. Oh, I lost my train of thought. I had another question I wanted to ask, but I got sidetracked. I'll come back to it. Um, you wrote an addendum. Oh, for the GPA? Yeah, I'm still looking yeah. at your application a little bit. Uh, you wrote a, a, a short addendum, which has some facts in it. It says, my GPA from the United States Military Academy was a 3.2. However, I believe this is not indicative of my academic performance. While taking an average of 18.5 credit hours and working a military job, I maintained a 3.5 GPA in my major, which I believe is a more accurate reflection of my academic abilities, though still not a display of my full potential as a student. Um... I think Ben and I would cut a few words out of that probably, but uh, you, you struck the right tone. You're not blaming it on anything. You're pointing out that you were working a military job full time. You pointed out that your GPA and your major was higher. You pointed out that you took a high credit, a high, high load all the time. Um, so yeah, I think that you did a as good of a job at like to the extent that that even matters. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was something that I got from the podcast was, um, you know, if you're going to put something in about the GPA, just make it short. Don't blame anybody for it. Just lay out the facts and any of your mitigating circumstances that you might have yeah. and then kind of let it be. Yeah. Um, and I think I kind of tried to play up more like that was kind of part of my diversity statement. Like talking about my like high school experience was just like I was purely unprepared to go to West Point, um, and that's a lot of a lot of it was the credit load and the stress and everything like that. But I just didn't have any math or physics background uh, to talk about, and I was at an engineering school. Um, but I didn't want to put that in the GPA addendum because I didn't think that it was the right move to try and blame it on on all of that. So I was hoping that kind of just when those two things were read together, you could kind of get a picture of like. This is a small town kid that, you know, wasn't really set up to go to an Ivy League or level school, high level school that had a lot of math and then ended up taking a lot of classes and had, you know, a different college experience. The thing that I think you did nicely there is, you know, the the LSAT, sorry, the GPA is the GPA. Like if it says 3.2 on your from your report from LSAC, then that's the number that they have to put into their reports. Um, but you, you know, so, so they know that if they admit you, they're admitting a splitter, right? They know that if they admit you, you're, you're going to be on the pretty low end of the, their, their GPA range, like below their 25th percentile for sure. Yeah. But what the what the short addendum like that does is it gives them an opportunity to in their minds at least you know if if you're on the bubble they know that they're putting a 3.2 on their record 
but they might be able to sort of just convince themselves like, well, look, she got a 171 and she it's 3.5 in her major. I mean, she clearly can do it. Like So they just kind of like have that opportunity to kind of anchor on that higher number and maybe feel a little bit better about that low GPA, even though, you know, make no mistake, they know for sure that that's what's going on the scoreboard. Right. Yeah. There's no overcoming it factoring into their, you know, rankings and on the board and everything like that. But yeah, I was hoping to at least just kind of throw it out there and hoping that they would look on it favorably. Yeah. I figured out my other question, but no, oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh yeah. Just really quick on this one last thing or a couple, two last things. So yeah, I mean, one way to look at this is that we're not, <laughs> we're not selling the three, we're not selling the GPA. We're not, because mm-hmm. the 3.2 is the 3.2. That's not changing as you guys were just saying. But what we are doing is we're removing potential hurdles that are in their mind like, for example, oh, you can't cut it here. And you're like, no, no, look, look, maybe I can't because I got a 3.5 in my major GPA. Which brings me to my question. Do you happen to remember whether you did better your junior and senior year? Like, you know, if, if transitioning... Oh, monumentally better. Okay. So that's, uh, you get to pick what facts you put in here, right? And if, mm-hmm. your, if your GPA from your junior and senior years was higher than 3.5, I would actually probably go with that fact. So I don't know if you have any idea what it was, if or, if or it was above that. But let's say it was a 3.7, right? Then you could choose to display that factor yeah. instead. And that might actually make your case even more. Because when I hear a 3.5 GPA in my major, I'm thinking, okay, but the 3.2, is that is that coming along with other classes all mm. throughout your time? Or is it really this like, oh, you were in this rural system, then you came to the United States Military Academy, and once you got used to it, though, then you were kicking ass. That really hits that home a little bit more. I mean, it doesn't matter at this point, obviously, but I'm just saying for other people who are debating, what numbers are you going to put in here? You want to keep it short like Melissa, but pick your best facts, which can vary. No, that definitely would have been would have been a smart move. Yeah, you give them the chance to anchor on an even higher number, mm-hmm. you know, in their minds, because like... I'm not saying they're not reading it closely at Harvard, but they are looking at thousands of applications and they are admitting what they admitted over a thousand students, I believe to fill a class of 500. Uh, So they, you know, like they, they're, they're going to have to keep it moving through these applications. And when they see that thing, I mean, I think the one, when they see the addendum, I think the one thing that they might actually kind of, Oh, okay. She has a case of, Oh yeah. 3.7 in the last two years. Okay. So she's, got it together or whatever. And then like, I don't think they're thinking about it too much more than that, but yeah. Um, my other question. So sorry for this interview is as always just all over the place. Um, I apologize to the listeners. No, that's great. Um, and to you, Melissa, but you said that, uh, burning the midnight oil in the library law library at school is not your style. Uh, what is your style? Um, I guess like, I am more of like a kind of structured, um, I'm more of a morning person than an evening person. Um, after like 8, 9 p.m., especially if I've been going all day, like that's just not going to work for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just set it up so I kind of get up in the morning, like try to get a workout in. Uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, usually like last year at least, I would like get some readings done before class. So I was usually about a day ahead in readings. Um 
I usually just did like the highlighter kind of method for briefing cases. Then I would go to class and then after class kind of go back and try and like type up my notes and make some kind of a semblance of an outline um, of kind of like what that day's classes looked like and then try to kind of like make dinner and, you know, get a little bit more studying done and kind of try to be done by like, I don't know, uh, like an 8 p.m. cutoff is, is like an ideal type thing. Obviously, when you're like writing or have papers due and things like that, a lot of that gets thrown to the wayside. That's probably my like ideal schedule. Um, how much I actually stuck to it is um, very variable. What time but, did you say, did you say what time you get up? Um, I mean, I try to get up around like six ish, um, between like six and seven, but that doesn't always happen. I will say that like as the school year drags on and the time changes and things like that, it gets progressively harder. So I'm definitely not an ideal uh, model of how scheduling works. Um, but it kind of, it works for me and I made it through, um, the first year at least. So fingers crossed that the second, second year first semester will turn out as well. Honestly, yeah, civilians are so soft compared to you. <laughs> oh no, not at all. I have one of my best friends in law school. Um, she wakes up at like 5am and runs five miles every day Okay. and she's my idol and I just is don't know how she does it. it yeah, Harvard. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Many um, civilians are very soft compared to you, let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about 6 a.m. and be, and like that being late. That's uh, well. I mean, in my world, it was late. Uh, I know. But now it's nice. Yeah. Now my friends are like, man, you have, you know, you can sleep in until you whenever you want, and you can get up whenever you want. You don't have to go stand in formation and all that stuff. So they think that I'm pretty soft, to be honest with you. Now. Right. Right. I mean, I, all this, you know, you, you talked about like not quite making 6 a.m. And maybe I don't know what that means. Maybe you're waking up at 7. Maybe you're waking up at 738. I don't know. But to me, like that could be the perfect arrangement, because in my mind, if I wake up and I'm tired, the whole day is shot. So then I'm having yeah. like an 80 percent day as opposed to, OK, yeah, I slept another hour, but now I'm 100 percent for the day. I'd much rather have that because I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely maybe I'm just a, a lazy a, civilian, but <laughs> it's no, it's hard to get out of that mindset, though, of like, because, um, you know, for like eight years or seven years or whatever, I did have like you had a time when you had to be up and you had to be out and in uniform and like, mm -hmm. you know, ready to start the day. And so it's like, I definitely agree with you that it's, I've gotten better at just being like, you know, I really needed the extra hour or two of sleep. Um, and it's definitely made me more productive, but it is difficult to, uh, like Let go transition of, from that mindset yeah. of like, Oh man, like I've got to be out of bed or, or else, um, to this mm -hmm. is much nicer of just like, Oh, Hey, like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Law schools love soldiers. <laughs> I mean, for a very good reason, they just know that you've, they know you've been through the ringer, you know, like of basic training and you have like some, you have some just like personal life uh, shit kind of sorted out. <laughs> they know that you like had to pass physical fitness tests and they know that you are used to just, you know, following orders and yeah, civilians we're, aren't. We're pretty good at that. I think that like most work, ex I think that is the reason why they like really, yeah. I mean, soldiers obviously were great at that. For the most part, I mean, I had quite a few guys who worked for me who maybe weren't as good as I would have liked them to be at that. But uh, I mean, I think really just work experience in general has been the people that I know, at least at school, that I've also worked, um, whether it was in the military or not, like, mm -hmm. it's just easier. I mean, 
because it's just not as big of a deal, I guess. Like, you know, when you've been screamed at by like a, you know, your, your boss or your commanding officer or, or whatever, like the teacher asking you a hard question, it's just like, it just doesn't compare. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they're not going to have, you're just, they're not going to have to worry about you complaining about your feelings or whatever. Like, they're just going to be like, oh, this person's a badass and they're used to, like you just said, like being screamed at, they're used to that. (laughs) And so I I just think that's like fewer problems for the school and more successful students. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't say that, like, all law students need to go join the military. Um, no. But, you know, if you're looking for another job. No, just kidding. Um, but I do think that, like, I, I really strongly recommend to, like, everybody that I've talked to that's, like, looking at school is, like, KJD is great. I know it makes a ton of sense for a lot of people. But, like, man, just getting some perspective. Like, I know, I know, I mean, based on grades or, like, school life balance or all that kind of stuff that, like, I'm a way better a way better student, maybe not, maybe not super academically, but, but personally just like in law school than I was. And then I would have been had I just gone straight in after college. It's oh, just really absolutely. been helpful. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we tell people all the time to delay their application year so they can have the best application. But I think another side benefit, and we're just talking about right now is that being a year older, having a year more of whatever kind of work you have, whether that's in the military or whatnot, just, makes you more mature so it's easier to sort of like get into the flow of law school and deal with the challenges that come with that as opposed to just i don't know going from one thing to the next yeah even if you just take a year and it gives you some time to figure out like what your ideal schedule is like what Mm -hmm. time do you like to get up in the morning you know what what do you like to do you know how do i make friends with people that i don't go to school with you know kind of just getting more of getting out of a school mindset and into the real world and then kind of coming back to it. Yeah. I mean, you much, you're going to appreciate like, it more yeah. too. I oh mean. my gosh. You appreciate it so much more. It's like, it's amazing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I miss having my weekends free cause that was great when I was, working. <laughs> but, um, other than that, it's like, all I've got to do is show up and go to like three classes and do some reading today. Like this is amazing. You yeah. Know? I had that experience in law school too. I was a terrible law student and I wasn't into it at all, but I, I definitely remember I was 33 and that was old for my class. Um, not the oldest, but it was definitely um, probably top quarter of the class in age. And I just remember the, the K through JD kids were, they seemed fragile. They just were like, it was real hard for them, you know, to, to get to that 11 AM class. 11 because yeah <laughs> they, had, they had been up till 1 a.m studying <laughs> studying and they're in the 11 a.m class bitching about it and i had to have jobs and i just remember just kind of being like yeah never had a boss before <laughs> client meetings or like things you know <laughs> yeah i mean my my kjd friends were like some of the most you know, incredibly intelligent people I've ever met. So I certainly wouldn't want to disparage them um, at all. But for me, it's definitely been awesome to like get to have the background that I had and then still get to have the law school experience. So I think it's personally the best of both worlds. Yeah, I'm not like trying to shit on. Oh, no, no. But young folks, I, I just I do think that being a little bit older is pretty much an advantage in almost every realm except for like 
physical. I mean, uh, yeah, there's really no, there's like no disadvantage, I guess. Um, yeah. At least as far as I've seen or heard of to like giving it a couple years in between. Um, or because a decade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, or or a decade and or however long you really yeah. want. Um, I think it's, it's never really too late to go back, but I don't really ever see... I certainly don't see any difference between, like, me and my classmates and, yeah, even folks that are older or whatever. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about the uh, family law clinic at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many law schools do clinics, but Harvard basically does it. They compare it to, like, residency for a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um so I got to actually go and argue in front of a judge um, like three times or four times over the course of the semester. So we represent the clinic that I did represented um, like domestic violence victims um, and low income minority clients that were um, then like seeking divorces from, you know, abusive spouses or trying to escape kind of abusive relationships. So um, I got to go to court and represent a client in like a domestic uh, violence, like an abuse protection wow. order. Um, hearing, so not a criminal case, just the civil side of like getting a restraining order. Um, and then put together, got to work on some divorces, decided I never want to be a family law lawyer because divorces are not fun. Everyone is angry. Everyone loses. Um, but I mean, it was a great experience just because like, you know, I've got less than a year and a half of law school, got to work directly with clients, got to actually put together arguments and go argue. I've got a classmate who's doing actually um, an appellate oral argument um, that we got to pick up because one of our clients' cases got a, the opposing party appealed. So she's arguing um, at the appellate level. So it was just really cool to get to do. Um, I think that like getting to work with people, like the summer work that I did for the Army um, is kind of the same way. It really makes it like, it takes the law school from the theoretical to the real world, um, you know, and it really kind of shows you why it matters. Um, like I'm taking evidence this semester and I know that I would not have paid nearly as much attention in evidence class or like been nearly as interested had it not been for like evidentiary issues that I encountered over the summer or like evidence problems or testimonies that I was giving for my clients, you know, in court and things like that. So if anyone goes to a school that does something similar, I would strongly recommend it because I think it's, it was hard. I mean, it was super frustrating and super annoying. And like a lot of the times, you know, you're getting back late and you're, kind of doing whatever it's a, if it's a different experience. Um, but it was really cool, really interesting to be able to get to do. Uh, I know you're prepping for an evidence exam, so we should probably let you go here pretty quick, but do you need any, um, evidence tutoring from me and Ben while you've got us? <laughs> is a, is that a service that you're offering on the demon now? I would sign up no. again. I don't know shit. Do you know anything, Ben? I, about evidence? No, nope. I mean, the main <laughs> rule is just if it's relevant, right? So, uh, <laughs> But no, um, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on today, though. I, I can't count the number of hours that I listened to the podcast while I was studying and things like that. I think my family thought I was a bit nuts. My coworker certainly did. Um, so it's, it's fun to be able to come on with you guys after the fact. Hey, I do have a question about that, actually, really quick before you, let, you go. Sure. Um, do you have any recollection as to what like motivated you to keep coming back to the podcast for another episode you know like if i'm watching a netflix series i can tell you (laughs) like oh that was compelling i want it what's going to happen next right but i have to admit i'm still a little bit flummoxed about what is interesting about what we say um i mean you guys are just kind of real about it 
Um, I just didn't feel like you were trying. To, I mean, this was before the demon, so you literally weren't trying to sell me anything. Um, but like, I, I just, you guys have a great sense of humor. Um, I felt like you were willing to kind of poke fun at a lot of the law school kind of administrations or the LSAC and things like that. Um, you almost have kind of a militaristic, uh, like sense of humor, kind of that dark, um, sense of humor sometimes, which, uh, kind of resonated a little bit, I think. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was funny. You guys were engaging. Um, and I felt like I was getting... I felt like I was getting realistic advice that I wouldn't have mainly maybe gotten from a more like curated service. And I was learning things about the LSAT mm-hmm. or like the, the process or whatever. Like literally, I think it's the only reason I knew anything about the process. Like you guys are the only reason I submitted an application on October 27th and not like, you know, sometime in January or February or, or whatever, because I just purely had no clue. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're just, you're interesting, you're fun and you, you tell it like it is, even if it's not like necessarily the most helpful things even to you guys or like to your business i think that you could get a lot of people probably to sign up for a service by guaranteeing them a score or guaranteeing them you know admissions or slots or or kind of whatever and and people do that but you guys don't you're kind of just like hey don't go to school if you don't want to do this don't go to school if you don't get these scores you know um so that part was nice because it's kind of like okay cool like if i called you and i sent you my statement like i did just now it's like oh hey like you know, you probably should have changed a lot of your writing in this. Like, this isn't very good, right? You know, I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, man, like, this is just, you know, it's so great and wonderful and, you know, kind of butterflies and rainbows. That's never really been my style. Okay, cool. Well, that's helpful. I, I, I don't know. It's something I keep asking Nathan every now and then. <laughs> why do no, people ever just, listen to why us? Why do they listen to us? <laughs> no, I mean, well, also, you guys are the first thing that pops up when you search for LSAT on uh, Apple Podcasts. Okay. Nice. So that was the only reason I found you is I got a cold 154. I had a mentor tell me um, the LSAT is just a intelligence test. You can't get better at it. Mm. Um, don't bother studying. Just go in and take it, and that's all you need. I uh, got a 154 and decided that was just like I was just going to ignore his advice and then just like started looking for resources, and you guys were like the first thing that I found, and I'm very grateful that that was the case. I'm glad you made that decision because a 154 is a damn good diagnostic score so yeah well i didn't even know that i just knew that l woods had gotten you know 178 or whatever uh, 179 and so it was like well if she can do that then surely i can do better than a 154 yeah have you Um, have you corrected your mentor by any chance um he's he's kind of out of um i don't know that he's really doing a lot of mentoring anymore but i should probably get a hold of him and be like hey uh just so you know yeah, he had a lot of, like, all of his other advice so far has been has been spot on, but that was the only thing where, and he is kind of right, because, like, for the military, he wasn't trying to advise me to get into Harvard. He was just trying to advise me to get into the military's legal program oh. um, and, like, into the, like, into A school, um, which I probably could have done both with a 154 or a little bit higher. Um, I think that would have been, like, I think the median for the Army's, like, funded legal education program is somewhere in the 150s. So it wasn't terrible advice for what he was trying, trying to, to give, sure. but just for, yeah, for, for people that were, but it definitely wasn't accurate. No, the LSAT is an intelligence no, test. It, it's completely no, it, that, wrong. that part was completely wrong. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a test that you can, that you, you know, if you work at it, I mean, I'm, I'm no smarter, you know, than anybody else who just worked hard. 
Okay. If there's any way that uh, people want to reach out to you, do you want to provide that? Do you have social media or anything like that that you want to share? Um, yeah, not, I think no that, worries. I think Nathan has my email. Um, I don't know if you guys want to drop that in like the um, description or something when you the podcast drops. Uh, I'm just on social media as like Melissa Anderson. Okay. Um, but yeah, if people want to send an email or whatever, I do try to um, respond and help out. Normally, I just direct them back to the podcast and to the LSAT demon. But maybe uh, maybe it's best for them to link with you on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah, LinkedIn is good too. Um, it's literally just I think Melissa Anderson. I think I'm connected to like Harvard Law School. So if you search for like Melissa Anderson Harvard Law School, I think there's only one of me so far. Cool. All right. Great. That's hard to believe. It's a very common name and a huge. I know. Ball. So I might be lying. Uh, if I am, it's not intentional. You can also search for. <laughs> I think I. I think I have my hometown. So W R A Y is uh, my hometown is connected to that as well. Cool. I'm definitely the only one from there. Thank you so much for coming on, Melissa. Thanks again for having me, guys. This has been great. Yeah. Melissa Anderson is a U.S. Army captain and a two L at Harvard Law School. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. That was a killer guest. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome story. Ready to, yeah, she's great. Ready to uh, move on to this uh, item. It's a little bit of a correction from last week's uh, yeah, discussion. All right. We recorded last Thursday when the news was fresh that the ABA had put their stamp of approval on the GRE for law school admissions. And we, uh, I, I think, misspoke and said that, uh, well, the GREs aren't going to really matter because they're not factored into law school rankings. Yep. Um, but uh, as always, helpful friend of the show, John Yin, uh, chimed in with actually, um, and he, he gave a caption from U.S. News uh, methodology saying that uh, median law school admission test and graduate record examination, that's GRE, scores, uh, they are ranked at a little bit over 10% of the law school rankings combined. And it says these are the combined median scores on the LSAT and GRE quantitative, verbal, and analytic writing exams of all 2020 full and part-time entrance to the JD program. Uh, and then it goes into a little bit, it's unnecessarily complicated, I think, but they basically just do a weighted average. Uh, so it's not like they just, if there's one person who took the GRE and 400 who took the LSAT, the GRE doesn't count for 50% of the ranking, duh. It counts for one 400th of the ranking of that school. Yeah, although it's interesting because it allows the school to accept as many or as few GREs as they want, right? Depending on what they accept, that will determine how much of an impact the GRE has on their ranking. Yeah, but I mean, applicant by applicant, they're always going to be making that decision, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it doesn't actually change. Yeah, it's the, the thing that I wanted to point out, which I actually learned this from Melissa's Harvard app. Applicants may not choose which results they will share. Yep. So if you take both exams, you are going to have to submit both exams. Yep. So this is not the type of deal where you're going to be able to cherry pick, take both tests, see how you do and then just submit one of them. Now, of course, you could take practice tests. 
for both of them. And then you could decide which one you want to officially take. But if you have any GREs on record that I could actually see that now hurting certain applicants. Yeah. They dabbled with the GRE. We're like, ah, fuck this. They have a low score on record and now they have to report it. Although at, at the end of the day, is Harvard going to have to report that low GRE? You have to report them both to... So I guess we need even more follow-up information about the how the sausage is made at yeah. uh, U.S. News. But I don't know what they require people to report to them. Yeah. Um, I also don't know what... Yeah, I don't know what the ABA, if they're going to start requiring GRE reports. So right now, the ABA only requires the school, at least when it comes to LSAT, to report the highest LSAT score that you submit. So presumably, given the fact that they're letting the schools cherry pick one score, I I don't know why they would require them to then report a GRE that, yeah you had in your application as well. So my speculation is they're still only going to have to report one and it will be whatever one is the highest. of all. all right. If anybody has follow-up information about how us news does these rankings and if there's any way that, you know, our school is going to be required to report both LSATs and GREs, because it does seem like you should probably be careful about putting official. I mean, you should, obviously you should be careful about putting official scores on your record uh, always, but this is another reason why. Um, and yeah, unfortunately I could see it hurting people who had never, no intention of ever even going to law school and then, and take the GRE kind of on a whim. Oh, maybe I want to go get a master's in fine art. Mm -hmm. And then they crash and burn on the math part of the GRE and then come back and start seriously preparing for the LSAT. But now when they apply to Harvard, they're going to have to also report this shitty GRE that they took years before they even decided they wanted to go to law school. Yeah. All kinds of uh, ripple effects and unintended consequences, but we just wanted to do that uh, correction. Cool. All right. So this next question came through our support um, ask button feature in the demon and this person writes hi there i'm debating i'm debating on using the lsat demon for my studies and i wanted to know i wanted to know a few things i'm not entirely new to the lsat and have used other services but none have seemed to click so far how are the lessons that come with the subscription are they with ben or nathan will the live subscription with the live subscription, I see I get access to Ben and or Nathan's class. Is there a syllabus or a schedule to follow along? Lots of questions here. By that, I mean lesson one will start on X date, a certain date, and I can follow a set schedule for follow for the following weeks to come? Or, or will I have to figure it out myself on the classes page and jump in on a lesson hoping that I'm at the beginning? Also, beginning with the demon, should I take a cold diagnostic with the accommodations I ha- I will receive on the LSAT to get a baseline? Okay, so skipping ahead, let's see. This person says, the biggest thing I am looking for is a class schedule following a set timeline, albeit three, four, or even six months. Can I follow a class schedule that I will follow, that will follow a timeline? Or as I said earlier, find classes that begin with lesson one and go from there. 
So the reason I added this question to the show is that we get this question every now and then, and it just strikes me as severely overthinking this whole process and wanting to prescribe exactly what's going to happen from letter A to letter Z, right? As if learning the LSAT is like learning math or something, right? First, you got to learn addition, then you got to learn subtraction, then you got to learn multiplication. And it just doesn't work that way. So I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, like if... (laughs) If we provided it, it would be an artificial thing that we were creating, not because we think it's actually good or helpful, but it would be purely creating it to fill this like market demand. This, this, this perceived need that <laughs> yeah. everything should be laid out from A to Z. Because that's the way people have done other classes of varying quality and i mean i just don't think that's the thing you should be looking for i think you should be looking for the thing that works well um it actually now that we're talking about it stems back to the very reason that we started the demon we started the demon to give people questions at their skill level Right. That's where you should start. And that's what the drilling tool aims to figure out as quickly as possible. You start doing questions, depending on how well and how quickly you answer those questions, it will determine what level you're at and then give you questions right above your level. So that's why some people can study for the LSAT in one month and other people need a year. (laughs) And all that matters is that you go and you do a question and then you learn from it. I think another misconception that people have is that they seem to think that the questions are all different and that there are all these different types and they need to learn all these different types and understand them. And it's the sequential thing. But the reality is the test is 90% of it, 80% of it is testing the same fundamental skill. And that is, can you read information, figure out exactly what it's saying and then deduce things from that information. And that doesn't matter whether we're talking about games or reading comp or logical reasoning. Yeah, it, the one of the main reasons why the demon works so well is that you show up and hit drill and start digging into individual questions at your level right away. So you don't need to get bogged down by lengthy prologues and introductions and theory fundamental theory that you all that you don't even need you don't need to get bogged down by all that stuff you just hit drill and you just start doing actual questions and getting help on the ones you missed yeah and you know we got a lot of work to do like we want to improve your score by 15 or 20 points we don't have time for a three month or four month or six month heavy handed theoretical syllabus, like get, get to work. It's like start confronting your misunderstandings on the test with actual problems. Yeah. You're going to have those same misunderstandings on the next test. So do an actual LSAT question and then 
get to clear understanding of that one question. And that's what the demon is really designed to do. Our classes are designed in the same way. We have multiple different classes of all different ability levels. And so, you know, most students should probably be starting out with our fundamentals classes or our intermediate classes. If those are too easy for you, then bump it up and take the intermediate classes or our advanced classes or, you know, come to my expert double black diamond class. Um, we've, we've got, we can meet you at your level, but it just doesn't really involve a six month self-study schedule plan. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes these things end up hurting, actually. How many people do we get coming to us and say, well, my mind is filled with all these flaw types. And so every time I read a question, I'm, I'm getting like, you know, confused and it's like people who start with 150 something take the entire Kaplan class or the entire Princeton review class, pay thousands of dollars, memorize a whole bunch of dogma, and then their pra- their practice test scores or their official score hasn't gone up and frequently even goes down. Yeah. Cause they start applying things that aren't intuitive. They're just these logical <laughs> rules or things and I put that yeah. in scare quotes that they've been taught. Right. We, we, we have learned that we have to be very careful with the talent and the common sense logic that you already have. The worst thing in the world is if you start thinking about some like you know, trademarked <laughs> nomenclature that that is artificial and imposed upon the test mm-hmm. for branding purposes. The last thing in the world we want to do is stuff your head with that type of that type of stuff and have you thinking about things that aren't related to actually answering the questions on the page. Yep. It's just it's just tragic when somebody who can score a 158 you know, or 150 anything or above. It's tragic when those people then sit down for some like really theoretical class. And I totally agree with you. I think it's hurting uh, sometimes more than it even helps. Yep. (laughs) We don't want, yeah, we don't want one step forward and two steps back or one step forward and one step back we're happy with like one step forward every day. And we just, we know you're going to do that if you just drill. And focus on intuitively understanding where you made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Or come to any class I've ever taught. I, I just don't, I have never, I've been teaching LSAT for over a decade and I strongly resist having like step by step syllabi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to teach fixed length, fixed length classes, and I, I dabbled with having an actual syllabus of content, but it turns out that it was just not necessary. Like I, show up, let's do some LSAT questions. We are going to get in the weeds. I guarantee it. And then we're going to get out of the weeds. 
Yep. And, and the LSAT repeats itself over and over and over again. Yeah. I feel like there's this fear that people yeah. have that they're not going to cover everything, that they're going to miss some corner of the universe. And it's like, look, every freaking LSAT is the same as the one that came before it. Yeah. And so you start doing, and the underlying skill that's being tested in all the sections and in all the questions is so similar. It's, it's the same reading and understanding and then deducing from that reading um, that if you do really well on some random logical reasoning question, that can help you with reading comprehension. So you have to stop worrying about like, oh, am I covering all my bases? No, you are, and you're moving the ball forward if you just do a question and get your mind wrapped around that question, and that's exactly what you're saying. That's why all our classes are are based on actual LSAT questions. We don't have any classes where we sit down and we talk about something and say, okay, well, we'll do the actual questions later. <laughs> See you later. Have a good night. <laughs> There's just no space for that. Um, it's great that you, you know, the last sentence of this, I would like to take this journey as basically a fresh start and I am considering the LSAT demon. I think that compared to anything else you've ever done before, you are definitely going to find the LSAT demon to be a fresh start. Mm. Like it's going to feel different for sure. Yeah. And we want it to feel different. Um, it, it's, it's different and we are pretty confident that it's better. Like we're, you know, we're only successful to the extent that we deliver the goods, which is higher LSAT store, higher LSAT scores for you. Yep. And so we're doing the things that we think in our combined ship and we've, we're coming up on 30 years of experience, <laughs> uh, teaching the LSAT, like constantly teaching it. Yeah. Um, you know, not just running an LSAT business, but like actually still teaching classes for a total of like 30 years of being in the classroom, working with students. And, um, we're only going to tell you shit that is going to result in higher scores. Like we're only going to direct you to work and direct you to readings and direct you to like, we're, we'll, we'll tell you what to do. Come to class. We'll tell you what to do. Yeah. But it's going to be like very direct and just, you know, plain spoken. And it ain't going to be a six month plan. It's going to be like, here's what you need to do today. Yep. And tomorrow. And uh, I'll see you in class two days after that yep i mean um, that's the thing is the plan also changes as you get better that's why no these set timelines are just so they're such bullshit they're gonna you're gonna end up skipping half of the you should be skipping half of your three month or six month timeline plan because there's no way you there's just it, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of a thing yeah you, you need to be directing your energies in the you know into the crevices like there's you're going to find some dark corners that are scary to you there's there's going to be some places where you just aren't as comfortable mm -hmm. and you're going to need to steer your efforts into those realms and so this like lesson one lesson two lesson three idea um, we do do some of that in our fundamentals classes but only there you know we we have we do fundamentals classes now where it's like lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, lesson four, and then it repeats. Mm -hmm. 
And so you can always drop into any of those classes at any time. The, the, the turnover on that is fairly quick, like a month. And it's fine if you want to just jump into lesson four as well. The point of the, the point of that lesson one, two, three, four is like, Hey, you need to keep doing these fundamentals things. If you're really struggling in these fundamentals classes, then you basically need to figure that shit out or give up. Mm -hmm. But there's very, very little, there's very little theory there. It's just kind of like getting yourself comfortable with the, here's how the game is played. You know, it's sort of like just learning the rule, the basic rules of, of the game. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just always going to be focused. Uh, everything 99% of what we do is going to be focused on. Okay. Let's dig into this actual LSAT question. See how we do, see what questions we have, make sure everybody's perfectly clear. And then we'll move on to the next one. And the, you know, you do like a couple hundred questions in that style and you realize oh wow this again yeah like that's all there is to it cool okay or we could just make a bunch of bogus three four and six month study plans <laughs> and just slap them up on the internet and see if people buy them or yeah yeah fake yeah it's just it's like it's marketing it's like we I'm very resistant to like, I, I don't know. I went to business school and everything and, but I just like, I do not feel like an MBA, you know, an MBA would be like, do market research, figure out what people are asking for, and then provide a product that looks like it's giving them what they're asking for. Yep. Cause that's what they want to buy. Yep. But I don't want to sell what you think you want to buy. Cause you don't know what you want to buy. I know, you know, you want a higher LSAT score, right? Okay. Well, trust us. We're, we're the ones that know how to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny that people are, they think that they have decided, they think that they know how it should, like how it should look. Oh, I've had these conversations over the years. It's, it's awkward sometimes. I'll be meeting with someone one-on-one -on -one for like tutoring and it's like, okay, this is what I want. I need, I need this schedule. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to give that to you. <laughs> and they're like, okay, thank you. I found someone else. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, what I want to give you is an actual practice problem and then see what you think of it and explain to you why you're misunderstanding it. And that's going to unlock this question and like 10 others in one swoop. Yep. But okay. You know, you, you gotta, sometimes people just know what they're looking for or they think they know. There are people who think they know what they want, but I, I, I really, I really think that you should instead be trusting experts, especially when they have documented track records of success. You know, you should be trusting the, the, the thoughts of like hundreds of satisfied customers. And I'm not just talking about the LSAT. I'm talking about like anything in the world, anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you should basically just let them provide you the service that they provide because they know that that service is what you need, despite what you think you want. It's like going to a restaurant and, uh, I like, I never really ever make special, requests uh, on restaurant dishes mm. because I don't know what the dish is. 
I, I see a very short text description. I see some ingredients. And I, I see people who, who like immediately start, well, can I add such and such to that? Or can I, I don't know, can you take that off of that? And it's like, well, why don't you order a different dish on that menu? Because like they're, we're at this restaurant because it's a good restaurant. They presumably know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think that you're going to like, you're essentially going in there and telling them how to create their dishes, but they, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they're practiced. They've done it a thousand times. They're like, they're doing it because people like it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've, I've had another analogy in mind. Oh, it's just, I don't know. It's just wonderful to like see experts who really know what they're doing and just kind of trust them to know what's best. Yeah. Um, I'm not telling you to bl follow us blindly, but, um, you know, if you, if you like our style on the podcast and you, you think that you would like us talking to you about the LSAT, uh, then I promise you we have the best LSAT product and you don't, you don't need to really like be digging into what exactly the, the features are. Cause you, you just, you can't possibly know what you actually need. Well, anyways, I hope that, uh, <laughs> that student gives the demon a try at least. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, give it a shot. <laughs> see, see what happens. I think that in a month you're going to realize like, oh shit. Wow. Okay. There's a ton here and it's everything I could have really wanted and more, uh, yeah. even though it doesn't seem to have like it, it, it it's going to look different. It's just not going to look like your typical LSAT class, but we also provide atypical results. Yep. So that's, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's just uh, do this one last thing, huh? Sure. And then, uh, we'll save some of this other stuff. Yeah. You want to read it? Sure. Uh, hey, Ben and Nathan, on your most recent podcast, you discussed Spotify wrapped. I just wanted to share that I beat 4,580 minutes of listening to the podcast. As a law student, I still find your podcasts helpful and hilarious. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got something in my throat. I am currently a 1L who is not paying for law school. And that is mostly thanks to both of you, your podcast and the LSAT demon. Thank you for all you do. And this is from BG. Uh, Always awesome to see law students actually still listening to the show. I, I just, I still don't understand. Like I appreciate <laughs> Melissa's answer earlier today on the podcast, but like, I'm still like, this makes me even more confused. I'm like, what? That, that's great though. I, I appreciate it, BJ. I that's awesome. I listen to it for the laughs. laughs. Okay. I don't know. Um, anyway, B, BG submitted 92 episodes for a total of 5,934 minutes. And that gets the bronze medal. Okay. Because bronze. we All have right. from Fran, she submitted 86 episodes for a total of 5,943 minutes. Oh, nine more minutes. So <laughs> nine more minutes than BG. Uh, and Fran adds, and I only started listening in August. And then some yikes faces and some crying, laughing faces. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's Fran getting the silver medal and then uh, demon student Spencer with no commentary just dropped uh, this one, <laughs> which was uh, it's only 69 episodes, uh, but a total of 6,200 minutes. Wow. OK. Um, of thinking LSAT. And we don't we, we haven't seen any of these yet for LSAT Demon Daily. Maybe it's because the daily came out kind of later in the year. 
but uh, I would love to see some of these if people have the daily popping up on their Spotify wrapped. Anyways, for now, Spencer gets the uh, gold medal for uh, b- biggest Spotify unwrapped of the year. Cool. Okay. What do you think about that? Spencer listened to over 100 hours of this podcast. Yeah. Last year. <laughs> That's an hour every, what, three or four days? Not not horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not like completely absurd. People who get in habits of listening to podcasts while they're driving or yeah, yeah. walking or whatever, working out or whatever. It's pretty easy to chew down a pretty heavy amount of content, but it is strange to think that what goes into this microphone goes onto the internet and then into just like <laughs> untold millions of hours of downloads. Uh, um, cool. Thank you very much, by the way. It's just, it's, it's, it's humbling that people find this stupid show compelling for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, at that, if you want to be LSAT famous, you can get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. Especially if you want to chime in about U.S. news methodology and this whole issue of how the GRE scores are going to actually make their way to U.S. news. I'm, I don't know anything about that, and I would like to know something about that. Yeah. Educate us. Please, yeah. Tell us what you are hearing, what you're learning, what you're thinking even. Would you be tempted to take the GRE and apply to law school? Um, or is that just out? If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email help at LSATdemon.com. That help team is amazing. Um, we are forever grateful for their quick yep. responses. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 328 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Okay.